We'll start with a review question from last week's episode. The question was in regards to factors influencing the time or it takes to fill a standard spin echo pulse sequence. Now, why we say standard? Because there is a fast spin echo sequence, and that's a slightly different equation that we'll talk about it later. But the factor influenced to fill a standard or takes to get a standard spin echo sequence is as follows. TR multiplied by phase encoding steps multiplied by the number of excitations. TR stands for repeat time, which is a time from generation of one pulse or one RF pulse to another RF pulse. It's not TE time because TE time is always shorter than TR time, and we want the longer time because that what that is what controls the image. So TR time. The second is the number of phase encoding steps. We said if we think of one slice only, the slice has two dimensions, x-axis and y-axis. The y-axis is the phase encoding steps, and it's made up of multiple rows. The number of rows is the number of phase encoding steps. So the more rows, more phase encoding steps, the longer it takes to get the image. And finally, the number of averages or number of excitations is the number that influences how many times we fill each line of the phase encoding steps or each line of the K space, how many times do we fill it? And we said that number controls the signal to noise ratio, controls the contrast of the image because we get better signal. So mainly up to now, we talked about spin echo sequence and GRE pulse sequence. There is a whole list of other sequences. Additional MR sequence included diffusion weighted sequence, inversion recovery sequence, which we talked about stir and flare. And then for MR and geography, there is a sequence called time of flight or phase contrast imaging or contrast enhanced MR and geography. There is also in and out of phase imaging and fat suppressed imaging. All of these are different sequences, and we said pulse sequence is basically a Morse code of RF pulses and echoes that generate that sequence. For the next few questions, we're going to focus on diffusion-weighted imaging and trying to understand it in a way to help us as radiologists, as well as a way to help us understand it to answer any questions that can come up. What is DWI? This is basically a concept that focuses on resonance frequency coming from water. It depends on Brownian motion of water protons. What is Brownian motion? Brownian motion is basically random motion of water particles or water protons. If you imagine, everything in the body is not random typically, meaning CSF flows in a certain pattern. It's not a random pattern. It's a certain pattern of flow through the ventricle system through the spinal cord and coming back and getting absorbed. So it's consistent motion with a direction. Blood is in the same way. It moves in a certain direction and it moves in a directional movement. Brownian motion is due to random signal. And that random movement of particle will null the signal, meaning particles that move in random direction will null the signal from the other particle. So if you imagine a water proton going up, if it's random motion, another particle is going to go down, and the signal from one of those protons is going to cancel the other signal from the other proton. 
and this causes loss of signal. On the other hand, CSF moves or blood moves in a direction, so all the signal from it will come in the force direction, and it's going to create a vector that will increase the signal, and that's the concept. Now, how does it relate to our imaging? If you imagine a brain abscess, brain abscess is filled with fluid, that fluid moves in a random direction because it's not going anywhere, it's not flowing anywhere. And so it will cancel the signal that comes from the fluid. That brings us to the diffusion restriction. Diffusion restriction, typically the standard is the ADC map. The ADC map stands for apparent diffusion coefficient. So apparent diffusion coefficient relates to random motion. Random motion will cancel the signal from different protons versus coherent motion or non-random motion or directional motion will increase the vector pole of the signal and gives us brighter signal. Now, what we want when we're looking at a DC map, we're looking for darker areas because that is telling us that there is a Brownian motion in there. How does that explain what we see? It is hard for us to radiologists or for any human being to pick up dark signal. So we come to reverse all the signal characteristics, so we get the DWI-weighted image. The DWI-weighted image is a inversion of the ADC map. So anything dark on the ADC map will appear bright on the DWI if it's truly dark on the ADC map, and anything bright on the ADC map will appear dark. And as we said before, we do not care of anything bright on the ADC map because it's non-random motion. Rather, we care about random motion, which is dark on the ADC map, so it will become bright on the diffusion-weighted image. Given all of this, when we're looking at diffusion-weighted image, we're looking for bright stuff because it's inversion of the ADC map, but we have to look at both of the images together, meaning we look at DWI images, and we're looking for bright areas. We see bright areas. We want to truly confirm that these bright areas are related to a apparent diffusion coefficient and random motion. And so we look at the ADC map for it. If it's dark on ADC and bright on DWI, then we are in good position to call that diffusion restriction. We just talked quite a bit about diffusion restriction and how it works, and now we'll discuss common processes that causes diffusion restriction. So there is a whole list of non-ending stuff that can cause diffusion restriction, so we're not going to cover all of that. I'll rather focus on the most common stuff. Now, key thing for diffusion restriction is what do we use it for? Very commonly, it's used in the brain. To a lesser extent, is used in the rest of the body. For example, Infarctions in the brain will cause diffusion restriction, diffuse hypoxic injury, and press posterior reversor encephalopathy are common to cause diffusion restriction. Neoplastic processes with extreme uh, cellularity, so very dense concentration of cells, will cause diffusion restriction. The most common example of that is lymphoma. Additionally, we can have epidermoid cyst can cause diffusion restriction and xanthogranuloma. In terms of infectious processes, abscess or empyema, abscess in the brain will cause diffusion restriction because as we just said, random motion, hematoma will cause diffusion restriction, 
diffuse axonal injury will cause diffusion restriction. Uniquely, carbon monoxide poisoning will cause diffusion restriction and hypoglycemia will cause diffusion restriction. And finally, ADAM or acute disseminated encephalomyelitis will cause diffusion restriction. Again, I'm, no, I'm going to repeat this list to just get you an idea what causes diffusion restriction. The list is really long and you can add any disease that causes abnormal motion or uh, fluid collection to that list. Infarction, diffuse hypoxic injury, lymphoma because of its hypercellularity, epidermoid cyst, abscesses, hematomas, diffusion axonal injury, carbon monoxide poisoning, hypoglycemia, and acute disseminated encephalomyelitis or ADAM will cause diffusion restriction. We'll continue our discussion and we're going to address the in and out of phase imaging or dual gradient imaging with in and out of phase imaging. Remember when we were talking about Brownian motion, we said random motion will cause cancellation of signal within that location. And that's why on the ADC map, if there is diffusion restriction, we have no signal and things appear dark and we inverse it when we're doing the DWI imaging. Similar concept applies here in the in and out of phase imaging. Now, in and out of phase imaging does not relate to Brownian motion, but it relates to existence of both water and fat within the same voxel. So if we have water and fat in the same voxel, they both have different resonance frequencies. And if we do an in-phase imaging, it is summing the in-phase or summing the signal from both in and from both fat and water. And so the signal would be increased because both of their phases would be aligned, meaning they will be in the same polarity. And because they're in the same polarity, the signal of fat and water will be summed and it will give us a greater vector of signal. So it will appear brighter than either fat by itself or water by itself. And that's in-phase imaging. Both water and fat give us the same vector and it leads to a bigger vector. Vector is basically a direction to the movement. When we're talking about out-of-phase imaging, out-of-phase imaging is when water and fat vectors are pointing toward different direction. So the water signal is going to the right, the fat signal is going to the left, and that is out of phase, meaning those protons are out of sync with each other at that moment. And when you sum the signal from them, you will get less signal than water and less signal than fat. Again, in that out of phase imaging, regards to existence of fat and water within the same voxel and it images at two directions or two times. One time when both the vector of resonance frequency of water and fat are both in the same direction, so it will sum them up adding the result and giving us something brighter than water and fat because it's adding the signal. And then out of phase imaging when the vectors are going in opposite directions and it sums that signal and results in signal cancellation. So typically, if we have fat and water in the same pixel, on out-of-phase imaging, it will appear dark. And on in-phase, it will appear bright. Now, a few questions comes up relating to this principle that we explained. One is, what if the percentage of fat and water are not 50%? Meaning, what if you have 75% fat 
and 25% water versus the opposite, what happens to the signal on the out-of-phase imaging. And the key thing that we need to understand that at 50%, when you have 50% water and 50% fat, the out-of-phase imaging will be darkest. Now, if you have 75% water and 25% fat within that same voxel, the density or the out-of-phase imaging darkness will be less than if it was 50 and 50, but it will be approximately the same if you had 25% water and 75% fat. Because remember, we said we're subtracting those magnitudes, we're subtracting that vector. So the signal can be the same. Where it becomes a problem is if you have 0% water and you have 100% fat. If you have 0% water and 100% fat, it's going to appear as if it's 100% water and 0% fat because of that signal characteristic, because it's summing the vectors and it's going to sum the vector. And in the out-of-phase image, it's only taken the fat signal and so it will appear only fat signal so it will be bright because there is no water to subtract from that vector and the same thing if it's 100% water there is no fat to decrease from that vector so it will appear bright when we can use this or what's the application for it because that's really what matter one in hepatic steatosis that's the most common example that we see where we have fat density or increasing of fat within the liver and we want to evaluate how much fat in the liver, we can do the in and out of phase imaging. Or when we're checking for steatosis, if there is loss of signal on the out of phase imaging, we know that there is increased fat. Obviously, if the liver is 100% fat, which is unlikely phenomena, you will have no loss of signal on the out of phase imaging. But we can grade steatosis based on that. It's not accurate grading because remember what I said about if the percentage start to increase, then percentage of fat, then you don't get as good of a signal. Ideal signal is at 50% fat, 50% water. Now, we said hepatic steatosis is one example. Another more common application is adrenal adenomas. The key thing for adrenal adenoma is cytoplasmic fat or microscopic fat which would appear as fat within the same voxel. And if we see signal drop out on the out-of-phase imaging, then we know that it's an adrenal adenoma. Another utility of in and out-of-phase imaging outside of telling the fat sequence, we said in fatty deposition in the liver, we have loss of signal. So the liver appears darker on out-of-phase imaging. Another way we can use it is if there is iron deposition in the liver on hemochromatosis on the out-of-phase imaging, the liver would be brighter on the out-of-phase than the in-phase. So the inverse of what we just talked about in terms of steatosis, that would be consistent with hemochromatosis and the position of iron within the liver. Let's talk again about diffusion-weighted imaging and the role of B-value. What is a B-value? So B-value is a factor that reflects the strength and timing of the gradient used when we're getting the diffusion-weighted imaging. A higher B-value means there is a stronger diffusion coefficient and that determines the signal strength. Images are obtained at two B-values, typically B0 and B-value of 1000, but there isn't an exact B-value, and that difference between them determines signal characteristic of the diffusion-weighted image. What are the units of magnetic field used in MRI? 
typically we have one Tesla, two Tesla, so we use Tesla. They typically, if they're going to ask you a question, they're not going to ask you what's the unit of MRI or magnetism, which is Tesla. They'll ask a relationship between Tesla and Gauss. So Gauss is the not the standard unit also of magnetization. One Tesla equals 10 to the power of four Gauss, so 10,000 Gauss. So 10,000 Gauss will equal one Tesla, and that is a question. They'll tell you one Tesla equals two, and they'll, they'll list number of values. So remember, it's 10 to the power of four, or 10,000 Gauss is one Tesla. Given that this has been an intense episode, I'll ask one more question, and we'll stop. What does precession mean? Precession means rotation around the axis of the magnetic field. Again, precession is rotation around the axis of that magnetic field. And Larmar frequency is how fast we're rotating around the magnetic field. Again, frequency is how fast we're rotating around that magnetic field. And precession is the act of rotation around the axis of the magnetic field. What is the Larmar frequency equation? Larmar frequency equation is 42 megahertz multiplied by the original or the external magnetic field. Again, 42.6 multiplied by the magnetic field. Now, 42.6 is a constant multiplied by the ex external magnetic field, and they do ask for it. Uh, the way they ask it is they'll give you uh, external magnetic field of 5 tesla or something like that and they'll ask you what is the Larmar frequency and you have to know it's 42.6 multiplied by the magnetic field. 